0: Good morning, church family. You've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do. Please turn in them to Acts chapter 9. This morning, we will be finishing chapter 9 in our study of the book of Acts, looking at verse 32, continuing through to the end of that chapter. This past Monday night, during the game, Monday night football game, between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, Buffalo safety DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field of play. He had suffered what came to be known as a cardiac arrest. His heart stopped beating. He was no longer breathing. They administered CPR. They pulled out the defibrillator in an attempt to bring back a pulse. Then... All of this happened as players on both sides looked on and prayed for God, that God would heal him, that he would be okay. He was later taken off the field by an ambulance, transported to a local hospital where he was placed in critical condition. For the next few hours and days, we saw players, fans, celebrities, politicians, praying to God that God might heal Damar Hamlin. Incredibly, some of these prayers were even recorded on national television, which is astounding when we think about the God-denying trajectory of the culture around us. But when man faces something over which he has very little, if any, control Actually, no control whatsoever. Whether it's a natural disaster or the critical injury of a friend, man ostensibly turns to a God which he may or may not even believe exists. On Friday afternoon, just two days ago, Damar Hamlin began breathing on his own. They took the breathing tube out of his lungs and He even spoke a few words to his family and doctors and even his teammates. The indication is that God is healing Damar Hamlin from a life-threatening injury. And if so, we praise him for that. Matt and Emily are missionaries of ours, serving the Lord faithfully in a country far away from here that is hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And ever since they have been in this place over the last year, they have been struggling mightily with illnesses and sicknesses, their entire family. And while it's not been life-threatening like the injury to Damar Hamlin, it has certainly been extremely discouraging and disheartening And just very wearying for them. And had impact on the work that they are sent there to do. They along with us and their family and friends have been pleading with the Lord. Have been begging of God that he would heal them and restore them to health. As of today, there's no indication that the Lord is healing them. He may, he may not, but whether he does or he doesn't, we must praise him. So what's the difference? Why does God heal a football player and not a missionary on the field? Can we even begin to suppose an answer to that question or is it for us unanswerable? And when we come to a passage like the one that we'll cover this morning in Acts chapter 9, where Peter both heals a man who has been bedridden for eight years and raises a dead woman back to life, how are we to understand that? Is this some New Testament pattern that we are to follow? Should we expect these same sorts of things to happen today? Or does the Lord intend for us to glean something else, something entirely more consequential out of this passage? That's the question before us as we turn our attention to this story in Acts 9, beginning in verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, He came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, "'Please come to us without delay.' Sir Peter rose and went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing their tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the privilege to gather in your presence, worship you through song, remember you through the Lord's Supper table, and now to hear from you as we open your word. God, we ask that you'd speak to us, that you would reveal to us how we're to live differently in light of what you put on these pages, how we're to think differently as a result of what you have for us here. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you might conform us to the image of Christ. And Father, for those among us who who don't know you as Lord, who have not placed their faith in your son Jesus as their only hope to be rescued from what they deserve because of their rebellion against you, God, we ask in Jesus' name that you might grant them repentance and faith, and that you, Lord, might reclaim for yourself another worshiper for your glory. For we know you deserve it. We ask this in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. The question before us this morning with this passage of Scripture is, what is the purpose of this story? The interpretive puzzle from this text is not what does it say or even what does it mean in terms of trying to flesh out some kind of point of theology or doctrine, what it says and what it means is plain for all of us to see. Peter goes to visit the saints in Lydda. While there, he encounters this man named Aeneas who is paralyzed. He heals him in Jesus' name, and as a result, many people come to know the Lord. Then, he's summoned to Joppa, a town just a few more miles away on the coast where a woman named Tabitha has died. Peter brings her back to life. And as a result, many people come to know the Lord. That's what happens. There's really no more for us to unpack out of this passage. We can choose to disbelieve it, but then we've got a belief problem with the Bible, not an interpretation problem with the Bible. The interpretation is clear. God uses Peter here to heal lame Aeneas and to raise dead Tabitha from the dead. That's it. But the question for us this morning is why? Why does God do this? And why does Luke record this in his letter to Theophilus in the book of Acts? There were lots of miracles and healings that were performed by the apostles in the establishment of the New Testament church as recorded in the book of Acts, but but not all of them are written about. In chapters 2 and 5, both were we're told quite generically that, quote, many signs and wonders were performed by the apostles and, and many who were sick and had unclean spirits were healed the quote-unquote many signs and wonders were not recorded with any degree of specificity in the book of Acts, at least not like these two miracles are here at the end of chapter 9. Not only are these two miracles spoken of with a significant amount of specificity and detail, but we're also given their names, whereas we aren't anywhere else, at least up to this point in the book of Acts. They are Aeneas and Tabitha. So Something's different here. What is it? Why are these miracles handled differently? I think it's noteworthy at the outset as we begin to talk about miracles and signs and wonders. I think it's noteworthy for us to, to note that, that most of the miracles in the Bible are centered around four distinct settings. You know Something that these signs and wonders and miraculous healings occur all over the place as if they are on every page of Scripture, but they're not. In reality, most of them are centered within four primary settings. <clears throat> the first is the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings, where God uses Moses and others to perform signs and wonders, and those are recorded for us in the book of Acts. Secondly, it's through the ministry of the prophets Elijah and Elisha that are recorded in First and 2 Kings. Thirdly, as we see here, is through the ministry of Jesus and his apostles recorded in the Gospels and the book of Acts. And then finally, those signs and wonders that become more predominant and more prominent the closer that we get to the end, as is recorded in the book of Revelation and other apocalyptic scriptures. So the Bible doesn't have these kinds of stories on every page of scripture, And so it would be a mistake for us to think that this is a primary focus of Christian teaching. But nevertheless, it is here. Dr. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records for us this story of Peter healing lame Aeneas and raising dead Tabitha back to life. The question is, why does the Holy Spirit direct Luke to record this in this book? So that it would be a part of the scriptures. To to answer that question, we have to unpack some of the broader context of the book of Acts. This story uh, finds itself in between two other very important passages of Scripture. It's kind of a transition text between the conversion of Jewish Saul in chapter 9 and the conversion of Gentile Cornelius in chapter 10. Bible scholars tell us that there are three uh, kind of overarching stories in the book of Acts that that shape the New Testament church. Three stories that are transformative to the New Testament church as it begins to be established in this book and in the first century. The first was back in Pentecost in chapter 2. The second is the conversion of Saul from a persecutor to a proclaimer of Jesus as we covered in chapter 9. And then the third is, is the story of the conversion of Cornelius, this Gentile soldier, and his interaction with Peter that we'll begin to work through next week in chapter 10. And this story about Peter here, uh, healing Aeneas and raising Tabitha is sandwiched in between those last two. Luke wants his readers, he wants us, to see that, that this mission that we were empowered to accomplish in Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon us, this mission that we were saved to accomplish as Saul was saved from a persecutor into a proclaimer in chapter 9, that mission now continues and it's moving outward. It's moving out of Jerusalem. It's moving over to Lydda. 25 miles away then it's moving to Joppa then it's going to go up to Caesarea where Cornelius is and it's going to continue to move out throughout the remainder of the book of Acts and so that helps us to begin to understand why we have these two stories of miracles here in chapter nine there are three broad reasons that I want to cover this morning as to as to why this is in the scriptures and with each of them, there's go, they're, they're going, these reasons are going to elicit from us a response, an, an application that based on this reason, we ought to do this or that. So the first reason is for the purpose of advancing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. For the advancement and proclamation of the gospel. Luke shares this story here of Peter healing Aeneas, and raising tabitha back to life to reinforce the authenticity of peter's apostleship that he truly is one of jesus's apostles but but that reinforcement is just a means to an end that's not an end it's a means to an end and and the the end is to convey to us that the mission of jesus is now continuing The mission of Jesus is continuing through Peter and the other apostles and is continuing today through us in the church. And that mission that is continuing is not about signs and wonders and healings, but it's about the advancement of the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel. Again, as we look at Jesus' earthly ministry, and as we look at the apostles' ministry as recorded in the book of Acts, The focus of their ministry is not about signs and wonders and healings, but about gospel advance and gospel proclamation. That's what Jesus' ministry was about. That's what the apostles' ministry was primarily about. But signs and wonders, both for Jesus and for the apostles, serve to reinforce their positional authority to teach us and lead us in that mission. Part of why Jesus performed miracles is to prove to us that he was the son of God. And part of why he enabled the apostles to perform miracles in their day in the first century is to prove to us that they were in fact apostles chosen by Jesus Christ and given this ability to be examples for the church, to be teachers to the church. So we follow their example and we follow their teaching because God would use them to write most of the New Testament. That's why today we ought to listen more to Peter than to our pastor. We ought to listen more to the Apostle Paul than Paul Washer. We ought to listen more to the Apostle John than to John Piper. Why? Because the former is an apostle and the latter is not. The former, at least in their biblical writings, is inerrant and the latter most certainly is not the miracles performed by peter in this passage correspond very closely to the miracles that we see in the old testament by the prophets elijah and elisha and correspond very closely to the miracles that we see of jesus as recorded in the gospels whether it's elijah raising the widow's son in first Kings, or the prophet Elisha raising the Shunammite woman's son in Second Kings, or whether it's Jesus himself raising another widow's son in Luke 7 or raising Jairus's daughter in Mark chapter 5. The pattern holds true throughout all of them. Go back and read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, all throughout that, and you'll see the similarity between those miracles of healings and what we find here. Even the wording in some cases is remarkably similar. One striking example of that is in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter. What does he say to her? Talitha kumi, which in Aramaic means little girl arise. And what does Peter say here to this woman in Joppa? Tabitha, arise. In Aramaic, it's separated by one letter. You see, Dr. Luke is saying something to us here in recording this miracle the way he does. He's saying that the ministry of the Father hinted at and provided a shadow of through the ministry of Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament executed, that mission executed and empowered by Jesus at Calvary is now continuing through the apostles and is continuing through us. And again, that ministry is not about miracles and healings, it's about the advancement of the gospel and the advancement of, and the proclamation of the gospel. And when God's people came the gospel, God in his sovereign grace Uses that as his means to grant repentance and faith to men and women. And that's what we see here in both of these stories in this passage. In Lydda, we're told that all of the residents of Lydda and Sharon, that surrounding region, saw him, that is, saw Aeneas, whom they knew to be bedridden for eight years and paralyzed, up and walking around carrying his bedroll. They saw him, and what did they do? They turned to the Lord. There was a great spiritual harvest as God used the occasion of this miracle to bring people to faith in His Son, Jesus. Same thing happened later in Joppa. After the people see Tabitha, who was dead, open her eyes, sit up, and arise, we're told in verse 42 that it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. But the inference here is not just that they believed then that God could heal the lame and cause the dead to rise, but that they believed in Jesus. They believed in the Lord Jesus. They believed that he was the Son of God. And they were now trusting that their only hope for salvation from sin and death is by placing their faith in this Christ. And they didn't get that from the miracle itself. But on the occasion of the miracle, the gospel of Jesus Christ was proclaimed. And God granted them faith to trust in Jesus. And so since this story is in part about the advancement and proclamation of the gospel, then and, and, and it's about the advancement and proclamation of the gospel, both on this occasion and in the broader occasion of that common thread of God's redemptive mission, as traced through Elijah and Elisha and Jesus and the apostles, then our response should be to allow Jesus' redemptive mission to continue through us as well. That the advancement of the gospel won't stop at New Branch. That the proclamation of the gospel won't stop with our lips. That we will remain committed individually and corporately to the advancement of the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel. That's why Jesus came. To redeem lost sinners like us from the sin and judgment that we deserve to eternal and everlasting life with Him. And He invites us to join us in that mission. He actually commands us to join us in that mission. But when we think about how incredible that is, that the God of the universe is redeeming lost sinners who had rebelled against him back to himself. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to reclaim them. When we think about how incredible that is, that, he, then, that he, he invites us to be a part of that, we ought to think of that as an invitation, though it is a command. How incredible it is to join him. And so let's join him. Let's join him in that redemptive mission by being participating in advancing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel we talk a lot in here about putting a blank check before god and when we talk about putting a blank check before god we're talking about letting him do whatever he wants to do with our lives and when we talk about that the memo line is always this this is the memo line of the check the check is always made out to god the one that we serve, the one who deserves our everything. The check is made out in the amount of whatever it is that he's asking of, of us, whatever way he's, he's calling on us to serve him. But the memo line always reads, for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. That's what the memo line always says on that check. And so how will God use you And friend, how will you allow God to use you this week, this month, and this year to advance and proclaim the gospel? That's the first reason why we have these miracles recorded here. The second reason is to demonstrate the power of Jesus, to demonstrate the power of our Lord. Luke wants his readers, he wants you and I, to be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt of the power of Jesus Christ to heal. The power of Jesus Christ over sickness, over illness, over disease, over brokenness, over suffering, and even over sin and death. The healing of Aeneas makes this explicit. Explicit. What does Peter say in verse 34? Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed, and immediately he rose. Jesus Christ heals you, not Peter, not John, Jesus. Jesus is the one who heals Aeneas. Jesus is the one who raises Tabitha because Jesus alone has power over disease and death. That's why the result of both of these miracles is that people turned to the Lord. People believed in the Lord. They didn't turn to Peter. They didn't start believing in Peter. No, because they knew that the operative power, the operative force that was on display here in both of these miracles was the power of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so they turned to Him, and they began to believe in Him. But I would submit to you, listen to this church, I would submit to you that the saving of those who responded was even more miraculous than either the healing of Aeneas or the raising of Tabitha those who came to faith in Christ at Lydda and later in Joppa were dead and then they came to life they were dead in their trespasses and sins. But then, by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that, they were made alive together with Christ. That's the real miracle here. Aeneas, he went from temporary paralysis to uh, temporary health because he was gonna, his body was going to break down again eventually. Tabitha went from temporary death to temporary life because she was going to die again. But those in verse 35 who turned to the Lord and those in verse 32 who believed in the Lord, they went from permanent death to permanent and everlasting life. That's the true miracle. And that's the miracle, friend, that Jesus Christ has performed in each and every person in this room who has come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope to be rescued from what you deserve because of your own sin against God, that God has brought you from permanent death apart from Him to permanent and everlasting life with Him. To be spiritually dead. And it's, it's a condition of utter desperation and hopelessness and I think we get a sense of that utter desperation and hopelessness from both of these stories of miracles look at Aeneas Aeneas was paralyzed he couldn't move he he couldn't walk He, he couldn't take care of himself he couldn't even dress himself And he was bedridden, meaning he couldn't get himself out of his own bed for eight years. Imagine that discouragement. Imagine how discouraged he was after the first month, after the first year, after the second year. It's been eight years. And Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Whatever had caused his paralysis, friend, whatever in his body had not been working for eight years, at that moment began working. And he immediately rose up. And Aeneas went from utter desperation and hopelessness to rising and walking. And the bed that he had been lying in for eight years, he picked up and rolled up and carried it away. Friend, when God saves you by grace through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, he takes the bed that you've been lying in, the bed of your own sin and shame and guilt and sentence of death, And he rolls it up and he takes it away. The desperation and hopelessness of your former life gives way to an assurance of pardon and a glorious hope of heaven. Now consider Tabitha. Consider her utter desperation and hopelessness. She was dead, there was no life in her physical body. Doesn't get much more desperate and hopeless than that and by the way apparently she was a really good person luke tells us that she was full of good works and acts of charity and apparently she made clothes for the widows in that region because when peter gets to the upper room he's surrounded by these widows who love this sweet woman and 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 they're showing peter the, the garments that she had made for them. They were too poor to even buy the material to make them. And, and, and Tabitha had, had made these garments for these widows. And, and they're showing them to Peter as if to say, don't you see how good she is? How could this happen to her? So apparently, bad things happen to good people. God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God is sovereign in what he does, and it's not our place to question him or his ways. Tabitha is raised to life not because she is a good person. Dr. Luke in no way insinuates that. But rather, Luke mentions her good works and charity as a juxtaposition against this terrible thing that has happened to her. She got ill and she died. Her name, whether it's Tabitha in Aramaic or Dorcas in Greek, means gazelle. What are gazelles known for? They're known for their swiftness. They're known to be fast animals who can evade by their predators because they are fast and swift and they can escape. But this gazelle could not escape death. And so she lay there lifeless. And Peter kneels down beside her and he prays and then he speaks to her body. Tabitha, arise. Her eyes open. She sits up. She takes Peter's hand and she arises. And friend, when God brings a sinner to faith in Jesus Christ, He kneels down beside our dead soul and he whispers to us little child arise and our spiritual eyes are opened we sit up and we take the extended hand of jesus our redeemer and we rise with new life in him that's the miracle afterwards we're told that Peter takes her by the hand and and presents her to the saints and the widows there in Joppa and likewise Jesus takes the new believer by the hand and presents him or her now alive in Christ to the brothers and sisters in the church as a brand new trophy of his grace see these two stories of Peter healing Aeneas and raising tabitha in the name of jesus christ is is pointing not to, just to jesus's power over physical disease and physical death but jesus's power over spiritual disease which is sin and spiritual death which is judgment and so our response as believers if we're if we're believers our response should be worship right it should be to praise him to praise God for what he has done for us in Christ and the grace that he has shown us in Christ. To praise him that he has shown grace to all of the Aeneases and Tabithas among us because we are Aeneas. We are paralyzed in sin, bedridden in guilt and shame, but in Christ that bed is now rolled up and taken away. Praise God for that. We're the Tabithas. Dead in sin. Utterly desperate and hopeless. But in Christ, He raises us up to new life in Him. New life in the here and now and everlasting life forever with Him. So our lives should be marked by worship. Our lives should be lived out of that sense of thankfulness and gratefulness for what he has done for us in Christ. We ought to now see, uh, desire to see this God of ours glorified in and through our lives. We should want our lives to be poured out on the altar of sacrifice in order to magnify this Jesus and to make much of him in our lives. And so this is going to have implication for us in all of life. It's going to have implication for us in how we use our time and how we invest our resources and how we lead our families and how we fellowship with other believers and how we fight against sin. sin. It's going to have implications for all of life because our whole lives are a worship service to God. So, friend, how will you worship God and how will you worship Glorify, magnify, make much of Jesus this week, this month, and this year in light of what he's done to bring you out of utter desperation and hopelessness into spiritual healing and everlasting life. That's our response as believers to worship. But if you've not come to faith in Jesus Christ, then your response to this ought to be repentance and faith. To turn from your sin, to turn from your self rule, and turn to Christ and his rule over your life because you are Aeneas. You are still spiritually lame. You are bedridden in that bed of sin and guilt and shame and the sentence of judgment. You are still Tabitha. You are spiritually dead and cannot do that which you were created to do, which is to glorify God with your life. And so your response to this is to repent and believe like those did who, who heard the gospel through the healings of Aeneas and the raising of Tabitha. So why do you have these two stories of miracles in Acts 9? First, for the proclamation and advancement of the gospel. So let's join him in that mission. Secondly, to demonstrate the power of Jesus over physical disease and physical death and over spiritual disease and spiritual death. And so let us worship him and praise him as the only one who has that power. And then thirdly, we have these two stories to point us to the coming kingdom. Anytime we see anything remotely like this, illness, sickness, disease, death itself, anytime we see these, it's a reminder of the fall. The reminder that we live in a fall by the stain and stench of sin. There was no illness There was no disease, there was no paralysis, and certainly no death in the garden. No Aeneas, no Tabithas. But because of sin, because of the fall, now these things are a regular part of living in a fallen world. But that doesn't mean that we should accept them as good and right and normal. The cultural cliche that death is a part of life, that we ought to embrace death as just a part of the life cycle, is an utterly unchristian idea. That that comes from a pagan worldview. The, The Christian worldview is that God created human life to be eternal. And death only entered the picture when man sinned against God. Now life is interrupted by sin. Now life is interrupted by death. Death isn't a part of life. Death is the enemy. That's why God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to defeat death. see, our greatest enemies, sin and death, have been defeated, but their effects are still felt. Sin still ravages our soul, still causes heartbreaking brokenness around us and in us. Death, at least physical death, is still an unavoidable reality for every person. We're all going to die physically one day. But because of Jesus, because of faith in Jesus, we who know him through faith in his son in glory, where there will be no more illness, no more disease, no more paralysis, no more lameness, no more brokenness, no more suffering, and no more death. And whenever we see these kinds of miraculous healings in scripture, it should should point us to and remind us of that, that future glory that awaits us, where every tear will be wiped away, and there will be no more suffering or brokenness, and even death itself will be gone, and they will never again be a part of the human experience. This is why these kinds of miracles are so often called signs and wonders, Because they are a sign of what is to come. And Christian, they are a sign of our home. They're a sign of where we really belong. How silly of us to cheapen the story of these New Testament miracles by suggesting that the purpose of them is for us to develop healing ministries to help hurting people in this day and age. To walk away from this passage with a game land to start a healing ministry to, to, is to miss the whole point of this message, to miss the whole point of this passage of Scripture, and perhaps to miss the whole point of the gospel itself. Jesus did not die on the cross to give us perfect health in this life. Jesus died on the cross so that we might be transferred from death to life in the next. And So our response to this third and final reason for this passage being here in Scripture is to cling to that hope to cling to the hope of that world that is to come for us. When we see brokenness around us, suffering, illness, disease, even death, it should remind us of the fall. It should remind us of our need for rescue. And when we read about healings and miraculous stuff like this in Scripture, and when we see God perform healing and miracles in the world around us today, Let those miracles point us to our hope for a world that is to come where there will be no more need for healing. See, God still performs miracles today. He may not do it in the same way that he did it when Peter walked the face of the earth. And why? Well, first, because he doesn't need to authenticate anybody for apostleship. Apostleship was a first century office of the church. He doesn't need to authenticate apostles anymore. And we don't need the apostles anymore because we have recorded on the pages of Scripture their writings. We have the Scriptures. But secondly, God may not use the same means because He uses other means. The means that He used in Peter's day was the touch of Peter's hand, the touch of John's hand, the touch of the apostles' hands. But now He uses predominantly. The, the miracle of the human body and knowledge of the miracle of the human body that he's given to the, to the medical profession. He still heals people today, but we know he doesn't always heal. Just like he didn't heal Paul of the, of the thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. Even though Paul prayed multiple times, begged that God would remove that, God said no. And he's he said no, because he was teaching Paul a lesson that his grace was sufficient for him and that in his weakness Christ would be strong. In his divine wisdom, God may heal Damar Hamlin. And if so, we should praise him. Praise be to God. And in his divine wisdom, he may not heal the Benson family. We pray that he will. We beg that he will. We beseech him that he would. But he may not. And if not, our job is to praise him still. When we pray for God to heal someone, and he does, we should be reminded of the lessons that were taught from this passage of Scripture. That the purpose of these healings and the purpose of them being recorded for us on the pages of Scripture. It is not to give us a pattern that is to be a normative practice for the New Testament church, that we're supposed to go out and start healing ministries and teaching people how to raise people from the dead. Instead, the purpose is to advance and proclaim the gospel, to show that the redemptive mission of Jesus is continuing. And so let's join him in that mission. The purpose is to demonstrate the power of Jesus over disease, lameness, illness, even sin, and death itself. So let's glorify him. Let's worship him. Let's magnify him as the only one who can do that. And thirdly, to point us to the hope of future glory where there will be no more need for healing and there will be no more dead to rise. So let's cling to that hope. Let's pray. Father God, we pray. For those among us who may realize perhaps for the first time that they are Aeneas that they've been paralyzed and lying in a bed of their own sin and guilt and shame and it is utterly hopeless and by your grace you've shown them there is no way out except through Jesus You've revealed to them, Lord, that they are a Tabitha. That in their spirit, they are dead. They don't even have the life to turn to you. God, in Jesus Christ's name, we pray that you would grant them repentance of sins and faith. We ask that you would give them new life in Christ. That you would in this very moment, in the quietness of where they are in their seat, that you would walk them across the line of faith, to trust in Jesus Christ, finally and forever, that he is their only hope, God. Would you use this passage of Scripture, of the miracles that you performed here, to cause many to turn to the Lord this morning? Father, we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture that reminds us that you've got us on a mission of advancing and proclaiming the gospel. God, do whatever you have to do in us and through us to make us faithful to that mission. God, we thank you so much for the reality that we're headed for an eternity where there will be no more need for healing and where there will be no more dead to raise. And so while we live in this day and age where there is plenty of that, God, would you bolster our faith in the reality of that coming future? And Father, would you just give us an incredible appreciation and gratefulness for the fact that we were Aeneas, we were Tabitha, and you caused us to rise, and you called us to life, and you get all the credit for that. And for that, we say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.